Good morning, everyone. Well, fall is here. You know how I know fall is here? Because pumpkin spice seems to have taken over. And, and I think there is a direct correlation between the fall and pumpkin spice. But that's, that's just me. That's just me. Uh, I know some of you love it, so I will not begin this morning by horribly offending you uh, because of that. You do you, the Lord loves you, and that's fine. Uh, what a week it has been, indeed. You know, school has gotten back. Uh, it feels like life is kind of back, in a sense, to normal for so many of us. Uh, and then in the middle of it, the Queen passed away. I mean, I, I was convinced the Queen was going to outlive us all, to be honest. Um, she's been going for decades, and, and what a life well lived. Uh, what an amazing testimony to just faithful service of humanity. Uh, and I know there's kind of all sorts, and I'm not going to go off on a political tangent there, but kind of just that huge marker in history. Uh, and just, it seems like so much is going on. Now for us here at the church, a whole lot continues, and, and a whole lot kicks off. Uh, the fall always marks the beginning of a whole new chapter, a whole new season in ministry life. Uh, youth programs get back on track. Sunday school gets back on track. Uh, I know the Sunday school kids this morning are probably having way more fun than all of you uh, because they have an illusionist in their kind of gathering today, uh, a Christian magician, uh, and they are going to have heaps of fun. Um, I'm sorry that you're in here stuck with me. Um, I'm going to try to do the best to, you know, uh, produce a sermon that, that you enjoy. And we'll see what happens there. If you're joining with us today, uh, Ruth, it's so good to, to have you back here with family. Uh, it's been a while, and we're just blessed to have you with us this morning. I know that Jennifer acknowledged Ruth. Um, you know, Ellis was the senior pastor here before me. Uh, he was here for about 12 or so years as senior pastor uh, and ministered faithfully and tremendously in so many people's lives. When I came across, uh, people kind of wondered, well, did, was it Ellis's fault that we got another South African? Um, I think it's God's fault, actually. Ellis and I didn't know each other, uh, and so it was just interesting to see the way God works. But enough of that. If you are visiting with us this morning, perhaps in person or perhaps online, uh, I know over the last couple of weeks we've been challenging people online to make sure they join us today, and I hope some of you invited some friends, maybe you've got some family sitting with you, uh, maybe a neighbor or something like that. Today we begin a new series in the book of Acts. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to journey through the book of Acts. And we're going to be calling it the Gospel on the Ground. Uh, now, the Gospel on the Ground is, you know, we've, we've totally stolen that title from uh, the title of a book by the same name that some of our life groups will be working through over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and today, I'm not going to begin in the traditional way. That I'm going to do for you next week. So next week, we'll go through the background of Acts. We'll kind of understand the context, some of the history. Today, we are going to dive straight into pretty much the middle of the book of Acts. And we're going to go through an amazing account in Acts chapter 10. And as I thought about how do I communicate Acts chapter 10, I could stand up here and simply read the whole account. And it's a pretty lengthy account. In fact, it even goes into chapter 11. Uh, and so I decided, you know, I don't want to do that. Surely there's got to be some sort of video out there that will help communicate Acts chapter 10. And there is. 
There are a bunch of videos that communicate Acts chapter 10. I found one that was really well done, really well produced, uh, some good acting, the whole lot. But the problem was they kind of followed word for word the King James Version of the Bible. Now, I know some of you don't have a problem with that, but I'm reminded that no one speaks that way. You know, no one speaks that way anymore. Uh, And so some of it was a little bit confusing, so I kind of went through YouTube and I found the perfect video. I love it uh, because I love Lego. And it turns out the Brick Bible have done Acts chapter 10 for us. So this morning, if you kind of, I'm going to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, to open them to, Luke, uh, to Acts chapter 10, because we will look at a couple of the verses. But for now, I want you to sit back and be immersed into the story of Acts chapter 10, as Lego tells us. So you can go ahead and play the video for us. One day, Peter had a vision, a message from God he could hear and see. Peter saw heaven open up and all kinds of animals were lowered down to the earth. A voice said, Get up, Peter. Eat. But Peter was Jewish. His people believed these animals were unclean and not good for eating. So Peter said, No, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. Then the voice said, Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. Peter heard this message from God three times. He knew it was important, but he had no idea what it meant. Just then, three men arrived, and the Spirit said to Peter, Three men are looking for you. Go with them, for I have sent them. Peter met with the three men and found out that they were sent by a man named Cornelius, a powerful soldier. He wasn't Jewish, but he followed God, and he wanted to meet Peter. So the next day, Peter went to Cornelius' house. Once he arrived, Peter was honest with Cornelius. He said, You know it's against Jewish law for me to meet with someone who isn't Jewish, but God has shown me I shouldn't call anyone unclean. So why did you ask me to come here? Then Cornelius told Peter the most surprising thing. Three days earlier, he had had his own vision from God. A man in shining clothes appeared to him and told him to invite Peter to his house. When Peter heard this, he said, I realize now that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on everyone who heard the message, even those who weren't Jewish. Peter was astonished and said, No one stand in the way of them getting baptized. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Peter thought he knew all about people like Cornelius. He thought Cornelius wouldn't be accepted by God because he wasn't Jewish. But after spending time with Cornelius, Peter realized he truly loved and obeyed God, and that God accepted Cornelius and his whole family and everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. <laughs> oh man, indeed, indeed. Okay, so let me, let me just kind of unpack a little bit of what's happening in Acts chapter 10. I know you've kind of just seen that very short video there from uh, the passage, but the action begins in a place called Caesarea. 
Uh, now, Caesarea was named after Caesar Augustus. It was the center in the region of Palestine. It was the center of Roman administration and Roman culture. Caesarea had a huge temple dedicated to Caesar and dedicated to all things Rome. So it was that, that central hub of Roman culture for the whole region. Uh, it was a showcase. It was this kind of place that was lifted up as this is where we want to go. This is what we want to do. Uh, except for the fact that Jews hated Caesarea. Jews hated the place. No good Jew ever went to Caesarea if they could ever help it. And even if they had to go, they would try find reasons to try and avoid it. And the reason for that is because a few years prior in the Jewish and Roman riots that began in Caesarea, uh, war broke out where the Jews actually thought now is our time to overthrow Rome. And so the Jews broke out in war, uh, and pretty much the entire Jewish population, according to the historian Josephus, pretty much the entire Jewish population in Caesarea were executed. They were wiped out. We're talking close to 20,000 people. And so you can imagine this in the psyche of the Jewish nation. Here's the city that everyone loves, Yet for us, it's the symbol of, of destruction. It's the symbol of death. And so no good Jew wanted to ever go there. But of course, as we know, as we read through Scripture, God is doing something in the middle of a place that seems dark, and it seems to the Jews that God would have nothing to do with them. Yet there God is doing something in the midst because right there in the middle is a, a, a Roman centurion, a guy by the name of Cornelius. Uh, and, and Cornelius is, a centurion, by the way, means a commander of a hundred people uh, or a hundred soldiers. In order to become a centurion, you worked your way up in the ranks of the army. You as a soldier proved your worth. And so it was very clear that for Cornelius, here was a man who had blood on his hands. Here was a man who was involved in execution. In fact, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but there's probably some connection between the extermination of the Jews and Josephus here. Sorry, not Josephus, he was the historian. Uh, Cornelius. Centurions were involved in executions. The Bible already tells us that. When Jesus was crucified at the cross, it is a centurion at the foot of the cross who sees everything that's going on, and it's the centurion who goes, surely this man was the Son of God. And so here's this centurion, here's this man with blood on his hands who happens to be a God-fearer. Uh, we read, here's someone who, clearly he doesn't have the right doctrine, uh, surely if, if any of the Jews try to interview him or try to speak with him, they would go, hey, this guy does not know anything. Yet he fears God. He, he believes in God. And not only does he believe in God, but he evidently does good. He looks out for the poor and the needy. And he prays. And so while he is praying, he, he receives this vision and an angel of the Lord tells him to go and call Peter. Go and call Peter and Peter will explain. Peter will speak to you. And this is what blows my mind. 
Even though uh, Cornelius doesn't have the right doctrine, probably doesn't even have the right understanding of just who God is, he prays. And God hears him. And God responds to him. So Cornelius calls his servants, uh, and he tells the servants everything, and then he sends his servants off. And as we're reading in Acts chapter 10, we get this immediate scene change. We move from Cornelius' house over to Peter. And Peter is in Simon the Tanner's house, and Peter happens to be up on the roof, and, and that's the quiet place within the house. There's probably a little shaded canopy up on the roof, and so he's there and he's praying. And I love that as we read in Acts chapter 10, he is hungry, and he goes to pray. And while he's praying, he receives this vision, and he sees this sheet laid down. I nearly wanted to call my sermon to this morning. I've got to tell you, quick aside, I nearly wanted to call my sermon Peter's holy sheet moment. But you could see how that could go wrong. And so the sheet comes down and it's laden with all sorts of creatures, all sorts of animals, all sorts of, of unclean animals that this voice then tells Peter to kill and to eat. And now Peter is a good, faithful, devout, pious Jew. He understands the, the law, the Jewish law. He understands what is written in Leviticus and Deuteronomy about what clean and what is unclean. And so Peter, as he has grown up under this law, has never eaten unclean food. And so when this voice says to him, get up and eat, he says, no, Lord. And it's, it's an interesting title that he would go, no, Lord. You know, we're told when Cornelius has his vision, it's an angel of the Lord. Here we're simply told there's this voice. And Peter acknowledges this is, this is coming. If it's not God, it's coming from God. And so Peter goes, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything like this. And the voice corrects him. In fact, we read the voice says to him, do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And that happens three times. And Peter has this vision three times. And, and then we read that Peter begins to just ponder this. And Peter's still sitting up on the roof and he's thinking about what on earth have I just heard? What on earth has just taken place? In fact, in Acts chapter 10, verse 17 and in verse 19, uh, we read this. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And then in verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And so Peter, just as the Spirit's told him, these men come to the door. And he goes down. And we read that he invites them in. And because they've traveled a great distance, they're not about to leave straight away. So Peter invites them in, and they spend the night before they get up the next morning and then travel. In fact, we, we read in verse 23 and 24, it's kind of the scene-changing verse that they get up, they begin their travel, and in their travel, there's still another whole night of traveling, and they get to Cornelius' house the next day. So Peter comes into Cornelius' house, and unfortunately, Lego didn't include this part, but as Peter comes into Cornelius' house, we read in Acts 10, Cornelius falls to his knees. He drops to his knees in front of Peter. 
Now, that was a pretty common thing in those days to acknowledge respect. People would fall to their knees in front of someone that they deemed superior to them. And so Cornelius says, man, you've got to be way better than me because God has told me I've got to call you. You're, you're clearly one special person. Uh, somebody clearly I'm not worthy to be in front of. So he falls to his knees. And the Bible tells us uh, Peter pretty much grabs him and lifts him up and says, hey, I myself am just a man. Brian's paraphrase is, hey, dude, I'm just like you. I'm nothing special. And he pulls him up. And so as he's there, Peter kind of says to him and reminds him. In fact, we read there, Peter reminds them by reminding them that it was unlawful for Jews to associate with Gentiles. In fact, Peter says, you know that it is unlawful for Jews to associate with Gentiles. Under the Jewish laws, under the Jewish customs and traditions, they were to be completely separate from those who were not the people of God. So basically, that's everyone else. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. You don't belong in the family of God. And because we want to stay pure, we want to stay clean, we have nothing to do with you. And therefore, it is unlawful for me to be here. But Peter acknowledges, even though it's unlawful for me to be here, God has told me. I love that. He's kind of acknowledging, you know, we've got a bunch of rules. We've got a bunch of laws that we follow. Uh, but God seems to have sideswiped some of those. And God's told me I shouldn't call anyone unclean that he's made clean. Uh, so I'm here. And Peter kind of says, why am I here? What's this about? So Cornelius then shares his vision of this angel of the Lord telling him to call Peter so that Peter would come and speak. And we read in verse 34 and 35 of Acts chapter 10, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. God shows no favoritism. That's why I'm here. God has brought me here to speak to you. And Peter then begins to share the gospel. He begins to share the good news, the grace, the peace we find in Jesus Christ. In fact, we, we read in verse 36, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And Peter goes on then to proclaim the kingdom of God, that Jesus came, that Jesus was crucified, but that three days later Jesus rose to life, and that Peter and others were witnesses to this. They saw this. They, they've seen it firsthand. And now they've been commanded by God to go and to share and to tell and to be witnesses to this kingdom and to this good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's, that's how Peter ends. He says, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as Peter's sharing this, as Peter's preaching, as Peter's declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, suddenly the Holy Spirit descends in this place. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Cornelius and upon his whole household. We read that they start speaking in tongues. They start praising God. Uh, there's clearly there's the supernatural move and this work of God. And that's when Peter fully realizes God is at work here. God is doing something. And so Peter says, well then, 
What can stop us from baptizing? Nothing. And so Peter baptizes Cornelius and his whole household. And in that instant and in that moment, these Gentile foreigners, those who are far off, those who are aliens, are now brought into the family of God. And Peter realizes and acknowledges in that moment that we who thought we were in and they were out, well, actually, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. In Christ, those who were against are now one family. So what? So what? What does this mean for us? What do we do with this account in Acts chapter 10? How do we respond to it? Why is it important? Well, I think it is foundationally important because it answers the question, are outsiders eligible for salvation? And of course, the obvious answer is yes. But you already knew that. You see, this account in Acts chapter 10 reminds us that God will do whatever God wants to do to reach those who are far off from Him. God will do what we might call crazy things. God will do that in order to show His incredible grace and His love for all of those who are far off. In fact, His response will confound the supposed insiders. I can just imagine Peter throughout that whole experience kind of just having his mind blown, blown at the fact that you know he, he was convinced we're the people of God. But yet God's doing something here. And those who are outside suddenly are part of the family. Why? Because God shows no favoritism. And there's this continual contrast that, that kind of undergirds the story as we read Acts chapter 10. We've got Peter and we've got Cornelius. Peter is this faithful, devout, obedient, uh, pious Jew. Peter is an apostle in the church. And then on the other side, we've got this Gentile Roman soldier. This guy with blood on his hands. This guy who clearly has not got the right doctrine, yet God loves them both. And God responds to both. And God reveals himself to both. Both are welcome into the family of God. Now, now I don't know where you are this morning. You know, let's imagine we've got a very laughable scale from sinner to saint. I don't know where you might be across that spectrum. But what I love about this story is it reminds me it doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. God is at work. God invites all of us into His family. God extends this grace and love to all who acknowledge Him and to all who respond. In fact, to any who call out to Him, He goes to them. So how do we apply this? What, what do we do with this? What does this mean for us who are trying to live in the here and now? Well, I think there are three thoughts that come to mind, three points of application uh, that we can respond and that we can learn from. And the first one has to do with dealing with prejudice. Uh, dealing with prejudice. Now, let's be honest. Everyone has some sort of prejudice. Even the supposedly most loving, tolerant, welcoming person. There is always someone uh, that, you know, that annoys us. And there's always someone that we think, no, that's an outsider. There's always someone that we think, no, there's no hope for that person or for that group of people. Uh, perhaps it's a different culture. 
Perhaps it's this weird idea of a different class. Perhaps it's a different nationality. Perhaps it's politics. Isn't politics just such a huge divisive thing these days? And we've bought into this lie that anyone who votes differently to us, there's no ways God can work with that person. And honestly, it doesn't matter whether you're liberal or conservative or conservative or liberal. Both sides seem to feel that way. And so we have this prejudice against skin color, against gender, against worldview, against beliefs, whatever the case might be. Remember this, in this account, the Jews and the Romans despised each other. It wasn't just the Jews who didn't like the Romans. The Romans themselves didn't like the Jews. Because both of them believed the other side was trying to destroy their culture. Both sides believed the others was a threat. Because they would get rid of everything we hold dear. They would get rid of everything that's good and decent if we allowed them in. And yet God doesn't seem to care about that. God responds and deals with both sides. He deals with the individuals who seek him. You know, even Peter is going to have to deal with prejudice. Peter, who's had this incredible experience, Peter, who has heard God say to him, don't call unclean what I have made clean. Later on, we're going to read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10 or 11 and following, that the apostle Paul actually confronts Peter to his face. Why? Because Peter had been hanging out with all sorts of people. Peter had been hanging out, the Bible tells us, with uncircumcised believers. That is, Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers. And suddenly this prominent group of Jewish dignitaries or, or, or leaders within the church get there. And Peter starts to withdraw from the uncircumcised. Peter's like, oh, oh I can't hang out with them. And this is the same guy who's just been told by God. No, prejudice is something we all have to deal with. Prejudice is something that is difficult to overcome. Yet God commands us to put away our prejudice. Now, prejudice exists because we believe in some weird sense we're better than them. We know better. We, we have the right truth. We have the right understanding. Uh, we do the right thing. And therefore, we're better than this person or these people and this group. We play judge and jury regarding somebody else. And we determine their position before God, even though we are not God. I want to remind you, no two people's spiritual journeys ever look the same. For the simple fact that no two people are the same. God will deal with you in ways way different to the way He deals with me. God will take me through things and show me things and have me work on things in my life where he's going, Brian, that's for you to work on. The problem is, Brian comes along and goes, well, if God's saying this to me, he's saying that's all of you. So you all need to shape up and deal with this. But that's not what God does. He deals with each of us differently. The problem comes when we want to try and play God. And I need to remind you, when you play God, you are terrible at it, and the position is already taken. So give up. So how do we overcome prejudice? How do we, how do we deal with prejudice? Quite simply, we listen to people's stories. We get to know people. This is what I love about this little passage in Acts chapter 10. In verse 23 and 24, we skim over it so quickly. But in verse 23 and 24, Peter has invited the servants of uh, Cornelius into his house. They spend the night. They then travel a whole day. They spend another night together. 
And then at the end of the account, when Peter, after they've baptized Cornelius in his household, we read Peter stays for another couple of days. I have no doubt in those moments, as they walked together, as they ate together, as they sat together talking, they heard each other's stories. They got to know the individual behind. This is how we deal with prejudice. When we reserve judgment, when we we decide, you know what, I'm not going to judge. That's not my job anyway. So I'm going to get to know this person. Let me understand what makes them tick. Let me understand why they view these things differently to how I view them. Listen to their story. Prejudice says, you're not like me, therefore I cannot be around you. Prejudice says, you're outside, and you will never be inside. I cannot let you inside. Yet God shows us there is no favoritism. God welcomes each and every person. Whoever comes to him receives peace and grace through Jesus Christ. My friends, God is working in people's lives around you. And all he invites you to do is to listen to their stories. And as as he works in their lives, all he asks is for you to pray for them. And in fact, that's the second thought as I read through this. And the first thing we learn is to deal with our prejudice. But the second thing is the power of prayer. This is what I love about this. Both of these men, as polar opposite as they are, they're both praying. Excuse me. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that prayer is important and that prayer is powerful. Jesus modeled prayer. Jesus lived a life of prayer and Jesus taught us to pray. Later on, as we read through the scriptures, the apostle Paul comes along and he tells us to pray continuously. He tells us to present our requests, our concerns, our cares, those things that bug us, that worry us, or whatever's on our hearts. He says, bring them to God by prayer and petition. Offer those concerns. And this is what we see. I spoke about that contrast already. A guy, Peter, an apostle, had good doctrine. He's been praying all his life. He probably learned how to pray before he could learn how to walk almost. He learned to memorize the Psalms and the prayers of Scripture. He had no problem praying in public. That's what he did. And then on the other side, this Gentile soldier who, who quite probably experienced guilt and some shame at what he has done. And as he's dealing with this guilt and shame with no clue about right doctrine, he just simply knows, you know what? I need to pray. I need to speak to God. And he does that. I love how in Acts chapter 10, verse 4, when Cornelius is having that vision, the angel of the Lord comes to him and in effect says, your prayers have come before God, your good deeds to the poor have come before God. God has heard your prayers. My friends, like I said, I don't know where you are in your journey with God, but one thing I do know, each and every one of us is invited to pray. Even if we don't really know what to say, we're invited to cry out to God. Psalm 18 verse 6 says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From His temple, He heard my voice. My cry came before Him into His ears. Psalm 145 verse 19 says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and He saves them. 
And in a couple of weeks' time, as we slowly start moving through Acts, we're going to get to Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, verse 21 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Cornelius didn't know the gospel. He just knew he needed God. And he cries out and he prays. God deals with the rest. God responds, even in his simple understanding of God. My brothers and sisters, we cannot underestimate the power of prayer in our own lives and as we pray for other people. And if you've never cried out to God in prayer, I would encourage you, begin today. Cry out to God. Deal with prejudice. Pray. And the last thing I think we learn from this account is this idea of participating with God. Participating with God. Some of you might remember the Experience in God series that the, the Blackaby brothers brought out. I think it was in like the early 1990s. Uh, and in Experience in God, there are a couple of little steps and points. But the very first point they make is this idea that God is always at work. In fact, God never stops working, which is true. God is always at work. But the second point after that is that God invites us to join Him. God invites us to join in the work that He's doing. Over here, God is working in Cornelius' life. And then God says, hey, Peter, come along. Come and join with what's going on and come and join in to this job that I'm doing in this guy's life. Now, as an aside, I could quickly ask you, whose life is God inviting you to join into? I think the problem is, we get so focused on our little lives. It's all about me. It's all about my little world. It's, I, w- I want my happiness. I want my comfort. I, I want to avoid troubles and, and problems and conflict of all sorts. And so my prayer life kind of goes around that. It's all about me. And then we wonder why God doesn't seem to respond. Can I remind you, God's single primary focus, God's goal for the world is not your comfort and happiness. It's really not. It's His glory and His kingdom as He seeks to save the lost, as He seeks to move in those lives that do not know Him. And He invites you to join in every single day. When we join in, yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, it's going to be messy. But man, it is when we get the front row seat to what God is doing, that's when we experience life. You know, for Peter, it was uncomfortable. You know, I think Peter, the whole time in that story, as he's walking with these Gentile servants, and as he gets to Cornelius' home, and as he shares, you know, it's not lawful for me to be here. I'm sure Peter, the whole time, was struggling with this idea of, of being with the wrong crowd. He's in good company. You know, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. I preached a sermon years ago back in South Africa about being friends of sinners, and I titled it, Hanging Out with Sinners. And I kid you not, at the end of the sermon, this older lady came up to me who had been in church all her life, and she proudly declared, I have never hung out with sinners, and I don't intend to now. How do you read Scripture and see that as the call of God on our lives? You know what? Sometimes it's going to call us to to go into dark places, into messy places. 
You've heard us say it. I know Lisa loves to say it quite often. We will do anything short of sinning in order to present Christ to those who do not know Him. And this is what God does with Peter. He invites him into somebody else's life. God does that with each of us. He invites us to participate with Him. And when we do that, that's when we experience true life. That's when we experience the joy of the Lord. And you know what? There's a really easy way. In fact, I've already mentioned it a couple of times, kind of in passing through this morning. The easy way is to spend time. Invite somebody for a meal. Invite somebody that you can listen to their story Don't invite them with the idea of judging them. Don't invite them to condemn them. Don't invite them to tell them everything they're doing wrong and why they're going to hell. That really kills a dinner right there. But invite them in. Open your home. Listen to their story. Share your story. Gather over a meal. That's what Peter does with the servants and with Cornelius. I have no doubt they spent many meals together. Just talking. And it was in that moment that Peter saw God's invitation to join in. And Peter got to do something incredible. Each and every one of us are invited by God to participate with him in what he's doing, even in the darkest places, even in the places that we think there's no chance he's doing anything and that we would rather he actually just destroyed. God is at work. So how do I close off this morning? Well, I think as we read through Acts chapter 10, and I would encourage you to go and meditate on Acts 10 during this week, there are no favorites with God. You can be an absolute saint who's grown up in church, knows all the right answers, knows how to pray, loves to pray. You can be an absolute saint Or you can be, by your determination, or or maybe somebody's labeled you an absolute sinner. And God loves, God responds, God draws those who cry out to Him. Those who come with a repentant heart. Because even the saints have to deal with their own pride. There are no favorites with God. He welcomes sinners and saints alike because sinners and saints both need grace. When we deal with our prejudice, when we pray with and pray for, and when we participate with God, that's when we see incredible things. And that's how God's kingdom comes and how his will is done and how we experience his life. It's not about the outsiders who are not allowed in. In God's kingdom, everything is turned the other way around. The outsiders are insiders. Therefore, let us join with what God is doing. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read through Acts chapter 10, and we see this just incredible experience and this incredible account of how you take two individuals from from two different sides of the supposed spectrum, And you reveal to us that you're at work in both. Because you love both equally. And you extend your grace and your call to both. And Father, you show us that when we come before you and we cry out to you, when we pray, when we seek you, you respond. And you lead us. 
You extend grace to us. But perhaps most importantly in this account, you show us that there is no one who is not worthy of being in the family of God. All are invited. Father, I pray for those present here this morning who might feel on the outside, so to speak. Who might feel that there's no hope for them. Perhaps they feel, Brian, you don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know the things I've done. Lord, I pray that you would remind them from the story of Cornelius that you extend grace and forgiveness and life. And that if they would respond with that repentance and humble attitude of simply crying out to you, that God, you will welcome them into your family. And likewise, Lord, for those of us who have grown up in church, who, who have walked this road, who know how to pray, who, who know our doctrine, God, I pray that you would prevent pride from taking root in our life. Help us not to look at others and to deem them outside of the family of God. Help us not to decide that there's no hope for them, but rather, God, to pray for them and to journey with them and to allow you to do what only you can do so that, God, your church would grow with men and women, young and old, from all over who would come together and be this incredible family united by faith in Jesus Christ. For we ask this in your name, God. Amen. Amen.